Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell, recording live on Paddy's End, at least, from London Town. How are we doing, Paddy? Give the people an update. We want to know how you're getting on in London. I'm actually not in London Town. I am in London City. Yes. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Disgusting, disgraceful, disgraceful. Anyway, <coughs> yeah, London's good. It's good banter. It's definitely uh, cheaper than Dublin. I know everyone fucking gasps when you say that they're like oh my god london's so expensive but if you live in dublin which is one of the most expensive places on the earth um, yeah. everything appears cheap after that you know everything is just like even like house prices i was just like you know casually looking at houses even in london and people are like oh my god london real estate so fucking expensive and i was like man this is you know equivalent price to like when i where i'm from is like, like the edge of dublin like i'm basically in wicklow and like the house prices there are the same as like equivalent houses in London, you know, and I was like, this is very cheap, you know, by comparison, you know, you're like, this is London versus like basically Wicklow, you know? So, uh, food is also much cheaper. So yeah, money stuff is fucking great over here. Um, the, you know, life over here is good. Obviously I know you guys still have masks and stuff over there. Like there's none of that. There's no COVID restrictions, anything like the most you have to do is wear your mask on the tube, which, you know, probably want to wear that anyway, because people literally stand beside you with their fucking armpit in your face. Now I'm taller than that. So it doesn't affect me, but my girlfriend says it's not an enjoyable experience. <laughs> um, so yeah, life is good. I'm enjoying the, uh, the move over. We're still getting some things sorted. We just got broadband sorted, which is actually a bit of a hassle. We're waiting on some fucking boxes, packages to be delivered, like our stuff from Ireland. Um, yeah, other than that, life is fucking good. How is it on your end, Gary? Oh, absolutely fantastic. You know, loving life here in Yolande. I'm currently on urology placement, which is uh, penis, testicles, ureters, kidneys. So it's good vibes, like, you know, doing testicle exams and stuff. So it's fun living life where's the best place you've women, eaten so far in london do not do women not have like urethras or anything Gary? no nice it's pretty simple like no they don't women don't have urethras women don't actually go to the bathroom i thought you knew that um well they might urinate every now and then but women don't actually poo i don't know if you knew that but um I actually didn't know yeah it's um it's pretty cool um or at least my girlfriend doesn't anyway so <laughs> Where's the best place you've eaten? That's what I wanted to ask you. I don't know. Food wrecking. I on my Instagram the other day. I'm basically just doing food reviews every time I eat something. Well, you wrecked one place. You said one place was a six or a six and a half or something like that. Now, to be honest, I wasn't great like that. That was in Seven Dials Market. Yeah, it it looked fine. decent. That was yeah, the burger. It was, it was definitely fine. You know, like you, you would eat it again, but you wouldn't be like, oh, you're made, like you're coming over later in the year. I'm not going to be like, Gary, Gary, you, Let's have go to, here. you have to go here. Nah, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't be doing that, you know? Nah. Um, the best place that I've eaten so far is Wingman's in Soho. That was actually fucking mm. delicious. Would recommend. 11 out of 10, you know? Um, so there's my recommendations. However, I'll probably eat in like 200 more places in the next year. Um, so we keep the folks updated. Yeah, exactly. Are these all uh, vegan, vegan restaurants you're eating at? Uh, no, I exclusively eat insect meat, so only insect uh, protein. Nice, nice insect burgers. We respect it. We respect it. Mm. But with that said, we're going to talk today about the uh, cardiovascular system and in particular training as it pertains to the cardiovascular system. Or if you're a, a, a nerd um, who's very pedantic, the cardiorespiratory system. Okay, so we're going to talk uh, about principles of programming or i guess why you would introduce cardio to your program because what we've been doing over the last while if you've been listening is we've been talking about the principle of principles of training and we've been talking about you know why you would uh you know increase volume decrease volume is periodization important etc in the last episode we discussed strength with our strength coach shane um strong guy um great calves and he was discussing you know powerlifting and how we could get as strong as possible so in this episode what we're going to discuss is you know how can you get fit how can you get fit alongside your strength training and i guess the inevitable question that always comes up you know is is cardio going to destroy the gains that you get along that process so are you happy with that patty is that work covering 
100%. And I should also <clears throat> make a note that we have actually done an entire series on cardio. So this is going to be basically just a little bit of a rehash of that, but also just you know dive into a few particular points. Like we're not going to you know do a huge deep dive on like what is aerobic conditioning, what is anaerobic conditioning. Like yes, we'll mention those things, but it's not going to be a deep, deep dive, right? We've already done a cardio series. I don't know what episodes it is. I probably should have looked that up beforehand. But you can go back, you can look at our feed, you can type in, you know, cardio triage method. It'll probably come up on whatever podcast platform you use. And so do have a listen to that if you want a more in-depth discussion. However, this is this episode in particular is going to be a little bit more practical because as Gary said, we have been discussing like how do you design a training program, right? And we've basically focused on resistance training up to this point and that's fine. We both have a resistance training bias, I would say. Like, I think it's pretty fantastic for a whole host of goals. And, you know, it's, I would be hard pressed to find a population that I would say, you know what, you shouldn't resistance train, right? I don't know if you can think of one off the top of your head. So with that in mind, we're always going to recommend resistance training. There is one population and that is uh, those of us, including myself and yourself actually who are actually um it's it's a bit sad to say but you know resistant to hypertrophy training you know we um unfortunately don't actually adapt to uh training so. resistance training non-responders yeah non-responders maybe. would be the term yeah so, in, in that uh, case maybe dunk resistance train and you know it's just going to be a disappointing endeavor just like my you know course of trying to grow calves you know it's been a disappointing would- endeavor we do it for psychological, you know, character building, really, you know, just to see, can we keep training for 10, 20 years without making any progress and just stay in the game? So it's just character. Is building. that why you do it? No, I do it just to troll everyone where they see this little skinny guy and then you're like, fuck, is he literally squatting over 200 kilos? Like, yeah, but see, you are a strength responder, but I'm also a strength non-responder, strength and hypertrophy non-responder. So sorry. Okay. Well, that's not me anyway. So I suppose that's where we, we differ, you know, and yeah. um, But anyway, you know, we're hard pressed to find population that shouldn't resistance train, right? So most people should do some form of resistance training. Again, we've talked an entire podcast series about why that's a good idea and injury prevention, building muscle, body composition, et cetera, et cetera, right? But cardiovascular training, you you can fall into two camps with this. You can be somewhere that falls into the camp of, oh, all I do is cardiovascular training and they don't do any resistance training. And the opposite camp is, all I do is resistance training. I do no cardiovascular training. And realistically, both of those camps are probably fucking wrong, right? And I hate to say that because, you know, I like when people train. I think it's a good idea to train. And if you find a modality that you enjoy, have at it. However, you probably are missing out on some adaptations, some health adaptations, and just, you know, physical adaptations that could be a benefit for you if you were to do a little bit of both, at least to some degree, right? So that's what we kind of want to discuss today. Like, how do we integrate some cardio work into a resistance training program, right? Is it just a case of, oh, this is what we do for cardio work. So I'm just going to add that onto resistance training, you know, like, oh, I want to train for a marathon, but I also train five days per week in the gym. Do I just add on marathon training, you know, you know, again, probably not a great idea, right? So how do we actually integrate cardiovascular goals? and resistance training goals, right? Well, the basics of it is it comes down to, first of all, understanding the adaptations that we're trying to elicit, right? And again, we've covered this more in depth in previous podcasts and entire podcast series. So go back and listen to that if you want more in depth stuff. But we can basically say that we have two. Now, there's this is a bit of a, a simplification, but we can basically say that there's two systems that we want to target with cardiovascular training. And that is the aerobic system and the anaerobic system, right? And these are just energy systems, an aerobic system, or the the aerobic system, not an aerobic system. The aerobic system basically means that it is the system, the energy utilization system that is being used when oxygen is present, right? So it requires oxygen to work, right? And as a result of that, you kind of can't be at a pace that doesn't allow you to breathe right very simplified way of thinking about it like if you're not if you're like (laughs) gasping for air you can pretty much guarantee that you're not getting oxygen into your body well you are getting some but you're not getting enough oxygen into your body 
to allow the aerobic system to work at full capacity, right? And the converse is true. We have the anaerobic system, which works you know, without oxygen. Now, that's not completely true because the aerobic system restocks the anaerobic system, the substrates used, and a few different things. So they are both you know, in tandem. They do work together. But the anaerobic system basically works without oxygen, right? So this is the stuff that gets your heart rate a lot higher, right? We can use heart rate as a bit of a guide because that also, like Gary said uh, earlier on, it is technically the cardiorespiratory system, you know, and we can kind of look at those two things in tandem. So if your heart rate is getting really, really elevated, that probably means that your breathing is also getting really, really elevated and you're <laughs> like, you're, you're taking you know, shallower breaths generally, but you're taking quicker breaths, right? And that generally doesn't allow as much oxygen to get into the bloodstream. Like it, it technically does. It's a nice adaptation to allow you to get sufficient, um, what's the word, exchange uh, going on so that you can get rid of some of the carbon dioxide and get some more you know, quote unquote good air into your lungs, right? So we have these two systems. Generally speaking, the aerobic system responds well to, we'll call it stuff in the below 140 beats per minute range, right? So heartbeats per minute, right? And then the anaerobic system responds well to higher intensity, so higher heart rates, right? But we can look at it from the heart rate perspective, and we can also look at it from the actual, um, we'll call it the energy uh like, yeah, the bioenergetics, I suppose, and the time course of that. And what happens is really because we don't have enough oxygen, the anaerobic system is really only good for about two minutes, right? After two minutes, and obviously as you get closer to the two minutes, that kind of starts getting, we'll call it worse. It's not as effective. It's not as an effective energy source. And this is why you can't sprint for, you know, five minutes. You know, you can't just like, oh, I'm going to run as fast as I possibly can for five minutes, right? You kind of get to the end of your anaerobic ability, you know, and that might be 90 seconds, it might be two minutes where you start really noticing this drop off, right? So within that one, within that zero to two minutes, you're kind of using the anaerobic system. However, the aerobic system is still being used at that time. And after that kind of, you know, we'll say 30, 40, 50, 60 seconds, you start getting more and more aerobic utilization. And again, this is why your performance in terms of a sprint kind of dips down after that, you know? Like this is why you can sprint. You can sprint for like 10 seconds and you're fucking golden because, you know, that's handy. That's because that's actually the alactic system or the uh, creatine phosphate or no, what's, the, what's the thing? What's the name of it? ATP phosphate, creatine or creatine phosphate. Yes, I knew I was creatine phosphate. Yeah. Um, the ATP PCR system, right? So, you know, you're actually not really even popping into the anaerobic system then, like you are obviously tapping into it a little bit, but you're basically just using, we'll call it free floating energy yeah. for that, that system. You know, it doesn't have to actually do any metabolism to break down glucose to, you know, start fueling these other systems, right? So that's something to be aware of that we basically have a time course and then we also have heart rate zones that we can use, right? And that actually allows us to program this stuff, right? So would you say that's enough information just to kind of start this all off in terms of understanding the different adaptations, well, so all the adaptations um, to uh, cardiovascular training, if we understand, okay, we've got this aerobic system and we've got this anaerobic system and we can use heart rate and we can use, you know, time course to, you know, start programming that stuff, right? Is that enough so far? Because, you know, we haven't really touched on the adaptations that you actually get in terms of like, why would you do cardio? So what are your thoughts so far, Gary? Yeah, I think that's all pretty accurate. And I think um, one of the, I guess, similar analogies that, that came to mind as you're speaking is that, so like recently I got a, a, I got a, I got a car. OK, started driving and it's a hybrid. So that means that you've got access to an electric engine. And you've also got access to your petrol engine. OK, so in, the, in that case, what, what's really readily accessible in a hybrid car is the electric engine. So it kicks in like immediately. It's like your readily available energy, but it also runs out quite quick because it's a hybrid. You have to charge it up again. You know, it doesn't last as long as my full tank of petrol would. And that's actually very similar to what Patty was saying here in terms of the, 
freely available energy of the um, ATP creating phosphate system. So you can think of this as like your short term, like it's going to kick in really quickly if you need it immediately. And that's what happens um, with a hybrid vehicle. Um, it's, but that doesn't mean the electric can contribute when you're going at a steady state. It can. And that's similar to if you're walking around. It doesn't mean like if you're walking around or you're doing a very light jog, it's not like you're not accessing energy from the phosphocreatine um, system. You absolutely are, but it's just not the sole provider or the primary provider. It's just there. Everything's kind of working together. And that's always the case with energy systems. They're always contributing together. It's the relative contribution um, that varies depending on the type of activity that you're doing. And then in terms of like, if you if you stick with, I guess, the, the car analogy, what you can think about is if, if you're driving your car at like a, a steady pace and you're not accelerating at all, you know, if you have a, a really uh, powerful engine, a re- let's say you're driving a 2021 BMW versus like a 2003 Suzuki or something, you know, if you're driving at 100 kilometers an hour, the Suzuki is going to sound like it's straining a lot, you know, at 100 kilometers an hour, it's difficult for it to maintain that. Whereas if you're in one of the newer cars with a larger engine, it barely sounds like it's moving. And that's a very similar case with with exercise. If you've got a well-trained runner that's running at a five minute um, per kilometer pace, let's say, that's really easy for them. They can maintain that. They can maintain conversation. There's no signs of strain. Whereas if you've got someone that's unfit running at that and trying to maintain it, they're going to sound like they're really straining and it's a difficult thing for them to maintain. And that's basically them being at the higher end of their um, energy system contribution. So rather than them being able to maintain it aerobically, like the really fit person would, they have to dip into more of those anaerobic contributions. And the thing is there, that's going to you know, fatigue quicker, you know, that's going to be less efficient, much like if you're, if you're, you know, have the car up to the max RPMs, you're really pushing the engine, that's going to be less efficient than if you're just kind of cruising along. So you can think of it there if you're a, an automobile head, you know, I think it's easy to understand though. It is, it is kind of similar. Yeah. it's quite. I, I was just going to say like the, the actual principles are the same. I think that's the interesting thing. If you're into like, you know, chemistry, whether it's the, petrochemicals or whatever or metabolism the fundamental principles are the same we're still just creating energy you know it's still just physics at the end of the day so the same well, we're creating energy are we oh. sorry 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 <laughs> creating energy fuck's sake we're transferring energy anyway uh, i create energy oh yes that's yes, yes. i forgot you were soul invictus you were the yes. bringer of life anyway um yeah, so that's you know, the basics of the two systems. Now, why, why, why might we you know, bring in some cardio? Well, of course, it makes life easier. If you were fitter, you know, the tasks that you are doing are going to be less fatiguing, as Gary said, right? You go to walk down to the shops, you're huffing and puffing and you're out of breath. You know, like that's not going to be an enjoyable experience. So if you're fitter, daily life is easier, right? But also in the context of resistance training, because again, we're talking about how do we integrate the two of these, it actually allows you to, do more volume you're actually fitter to do the work in the gym just think about it if you are doing something that you know say you know, you're doing a heavy set of eight you know on squats or something you know you're going to be a little bit fatigued after that and not just fatigued in the muscles used fatigued in the cardiorespiratory system right so if you have a better cardiorespiratory system you're probably going to be able to recover between sets a little bit quicker right so it makes your gym work a little bit more efficient perhaps you can get more volume as a result and potentially you can get more hypertrophy as a result of that, right? Now, it also helps with health, as we've discussed you know, many, many times. You know, you can have a like lower heart rate, lower resting heart rate is probably one of the biggest indicators of health that I can think of, at least that is at least trainable, as at least like something that we can influence very readily. Like obviously there's other things that are big indicators of health, but this is something that is actually trainable. It's actually very easy to... I shouldn't say easy. It's actually very you know, easy to manipulate, I suppose. Um, so it is something that we should be looking at. If you have a lower resting heart rate, something below 60 beats per m, that means that your heart is doing less work at quote unquote rest, you know? And you know, again, it's making your life easier, but also that means that your heart has a, a potential for a longer lifespan. Now, obviously organs and stuff, they do have the capacity to you know, quote unquote heal or, you know, fix themselves so it's not the exact same analogy but again imagine you're putting fucking 200 kilometers onto your car every single day you know which say you know got 
200,000 fucking heartbeats in a week. I don't know how many fucking it is. I don't know the maths. You know, if you're doing less heartbeats for the same given task as someone else, then you're putting less wear and tear on the system, right? Now, again, that's not the perfect analogy for a human system because, again, we do adapt, but it does have some merit, right? So that is something that we want to be aware of. You're actually making yourself healthier by doing some cardiovascular conditioning. And again, if the goal is to build more muscle, build more strength, have better body composition, etc., like we want to be able to do this stuff for a long time. It's not just a case of, oh, I want to be able to do this stuff for the next two years, get as jacked as possible, and then die of a heart attack. You know, that's obviously not the goal for most people at least, right? So Cardio is going to be really beneficial for that. Now, the issue that we run into is how do we actually integrate the two of these things? How do we actually integrate cardiovascular conditioning and resistance training, right? Because they actually do activate two, we'll call them uh, dichotomous systems, right? Like resistance training, it basically leads to a situation where you have more activation of, we'll call it this protein, mTOR, right? And it used to be called mammalian targets of uh, rhabdomyosin but now it's called mechanistic target of rhabdomyosin right so we have this mTOR and that mTOR is responsible to an extent for signaling the cascade or as part of the signaling cascade I should say that leads to muscle building right so we want to have that if we're trying to build some muscle it also you know we'll call it an anabolic signaling pathway here right you can kind of think of it like that right so resistance training and protein intake especially leucine and does lead to increases in this signaling cascade, increases in this muscle building. Fantastic, right? The opposite system to this is the kind of, we'll call it the AMPK system, right? There's other names for it. You can think of it in terms of different things, but let's just call it the AMPK system, right? And that system is kind of antagonistic. It shuts off this mTOR system, right? Cardiovascular conditioning leads to more activation of this AMPK system, right? And that's good from the perspective that once we activate that AMPK system, we do actually get increases in like mitochondrial biogenesis. We get increases in angiogenesis, so more, more blood cell or uh, what's the fucking word? Veins, whatever, you know, blood vessels is the word I'm looking for. You know, we actually get more blood vessels going to different muscles, going to you know, the areas that we need it so that you can get more oxygen into the working muscles. Because again, think about, we need this cardiorespiratory system. Your blood is what transports all this stuff around your body, right? So when we're doing cardio, we're actually getting more activation of this AMPK system, right? Which unfortunately shuts off this muscle building system, right? So from a mechanistic standpoint, you could understand and go, Jesus Christ, if I do cardio, that means that I'm limiting my muscle building, right? Because it shuts off this other system, right? The unfortunate thing about that as a very simplistic understanding is that resistance training does actually activate the AMPK system once, once you're doing it, right? The mTOR system or the you know, muscle building system doesn't actually kick in until you know, 30 minutes, 90 minutes, two hours after your workout, right? So during your workout, you are technically, we'll call it catabolic. You are breaking down right? The exact same way you are breaking down when you do cardiovascular conditioning, right? However, after resistance training, we then get the signal to rebuild. <clears throat> we get the signal to build from this mTOR, right? So that is something to be aware of that you're not like cardio or resistance training does actually activate AMPK as well, right? It's not just like, oh, as soon as I do like cardio, I get AMPK. And as soon as I do resistance training, I get mTOR. That's not as simplistic as it initially seems. There is a lot more going on with this, right? But it does bear keeping in mind that there is some sort of interference if we're trying to hammer both of these systems at the same time, right? And this is one of those reasons that you don't see you know, huge jacked marathon runners because the amount of volume that they have to do for a marathon running, it leads to a situation where they're not actually able to build muscle as effectively, right? However, you have to also factor in that marathon running, it, it behooves you to be lighter. Building more muscle above and beyond what you actually need, it doesn't help you with your sport, right? So we have to factor that in as well, right? But also we have to factor in the fact that you also see a lot of people that do a lot of cardiovascular conditioning and are jacked out of their mind, right? Look at CrossFit, CrossFit athletes, right? Jacked, now, huge amount of anabolic steroid use, but they're jacked, right? 
you can see strongman competitors. Again, Jack, they do a lot of cardio as well because they have to be fit for their competition, right? You know, rugby players, football players, you know, like the different, like I meant American football players, I should say there. Now you see a lot of people that do uh, conditioning work, resistance training work, and they're jacked and they're fit. So it's not like <clears throat> there's this dichotomous, like either or, as soon as you do any conditioning, you're trying to build muscle, boom, it's gone. It's off the tables, right? It's off the cards, it's not happening. That's not how it works. You can do both, right? The thing is, how do we actually integrate like a program? Like how do we integrate the two of them together into an effective program, right? So do you have anything else to add onto that, Gary, before we actually get into kind of more of the, the integration stuff? Yeah, so I suppose like one thing that I would that I would add on there is that a lot of people when they're focused on the resistance training side of things, just building muscle, building strength, they can be quite concerned initially when they're adding in and that cardio because the, even if they don't think, all right, it's not going to interfere, let's say in terms of like the cellular pathways, what they might feel is, well, it's going to take away from my recovery from weight training, etc. Um, and I had an, an anecdote from a, a client this week who who reached out to me and said, you know, he's feeling like he is able to recover so much better um, in his sessions and between his sessions. And in particular within the session that he's not getting as short of breath um, during his res resistance training sets. And this is something we see quite frequently with people who, especially those who have a long weight training background, but our history, but don't have a solid base of cardiorespiratory fitness that that can be a deficit for them because they're not able to handle as much training because it's actually the the ability to you know produce that energy during exercise that is such the, that is the limiting factor especially for sets of 8 10 12 15 20 plus you're going to be limited there, not necessarily by your muscular strength, but by your ability to provide that energy in time. And if you've got better cardiorespiratory fitness, that can actually support your weight training performance and potentially increase um, the gains that you get in return. Now, there's not much evidence on that because obviously this is very individual specific. Like I wouldn't expect for me, I've got a good level of fitness. So I don't expect that adding in more cardio is ever going to improve my weight training. It would be way better for me to do more weight training. But for someone who has a bodybuilding background, they get short to breath quite quickly and it takes them ages to recover between sets. That individual, they could certainly benefit from, you know, being Probably more a better fit. example would be a powerlifter, you know, yeah. when they're literally struggling to get over five 100%. reps. Like a classic case where you're like, okay, you could actually definitely benefit from more cardiovascular conditioning would be a powerlifter who needs to move up a weight class, right? They need to move up a weight class and they struggle to do over five reps, right? So they're not able to you know, build sufficient amounts of volume because first of all, they're really conditioned towards only doing five reps, but if they try to do more, it's their lungs that are on fire. It's not really the muscles, right? So in that case, doing more cardiovascular conditioning is actually going to put them into position where they can actually do more resistance training, recover from that resistance training. And then as a result of that, get into the next weight class up, which is kind of something that you wouldn't necessarily think of because a lot of people think of cardio purely from the perspective of burning calories. That, that's it. Right. And we will touch on that in a second in terms of using cardio to effectively burn some calories. Right. But yeah, like I've had loads of clients in that same kind of position where you're like, Oh, you know, I actually started bringing in some more cardio and all of a sudden, I'm actually able to get better results. I'm able to recover from training better. My sleep is improved, et cetera, et cetera. And as we said, like if you're, if you've got a lower resting heart rate throughout the day, like life is just easier, you know? So obviously recovery is going to be better for someone whose life is just easier. It's a less stressful endeavor to just walk across the room. Like if you walk across the room and you look at your like, you know, heart rate tracking watch and it's like, 120 beats per minute like you are probably unfit like i walk across the room and my heart rate is 45 you know so you have to put that in context in terms of okay well if mine is 45 and yours is literally 120 doing the exact same activity who do you think is going to be more fatigued from that activity of course it's the person that basically got into fucking proper cardiovascular and aer aerobic conditioning territory just walking across the room you know so that's something to take into account, right? But I mean, uh, like, as I said, like we recovered all this stuff in the more in-depth podcast series already. So let's move on. Let's actually integrate this stuff. Let's actually put this together, right? 
so you follow along the last series or this series, I should say, you're like, okay, I understand pretty well in terms of how I'm going to design my resistance training stuff, right? <clears throat> I'm like, okay, I'm going to choose these exercises. I've really, you know, dialed in on my goal. I've got all that sorted, right? But I want to bring in some cardiovascular conditioning because I want to be fit. I understand that it's a good thing to have, a good thing to do to keep myself healthy long-term. So how do we actually integrate this stuff? And it's actually quite straightforward because we can look at this in terms of we'll just call it intensity levels, right? And the first thing we want to do to bring in some cardiovascular conditioning is to bring in background cardiovascular conditioning. And what I mean by this is just bring your steps or your general like non-exercise activity thermogenesis to a good place, right? Doesn't need to be hugely fatiguing. Again, like if it's just easy, basically just walking around a bit more, it's probably not all that fatiguing, right? But it does lead to some sort of cardiovascular conditioning. It does lead to some cardiovascular uh, adaptations that lead you to a position where you have better health, right? It also encourages blood flow. So it actually probably makes your uh, current resistance training a little bit easier to recover from rather than just having that kind of, we'll call it quote unquote stagnant blood, right? Obviously your blood is pumping around your body. Mm -hmm. But what I mean by that is you're not actually getting it you know, deep into the muscle, we'll say, right? Because you know, there's no need to because you're not actually using those muscles. So let's say you train legs in the morning and then you go for a walk later that day, you're probably going to have better recovery the day after, the day after mm -hmm. that because you've got increased oxygenation. You've even got increased like blood flow. You've got increased nutrient delivery to those muscles, right? So fantastic. We bring in some light, low-level cardio. That's the first step. Would you agree with that in terms of that being your first intervention? You have someone, they've never done any cardiovascular conditioning. You know, it's, I know, a 40-year-old, 50-year-old. They've got their resistance training down. They're like, I'm training three to four days per week. What's the next step? I want to get cardiovascularly fitter. Where do you start? Absolutely. I think that that's such a, a, a basic thing that sticks with you for life then. I think that's one of the big benefits there is that if you can start to build the habit of just walking more, um, every day, then that sticks with you independent of your environment, which is really important because it means that, you know, maybe you'll move jobs and you're not able to access a gym for a certain period of time. So you're not getting any training in. If you've built up that habit of getting out for walks regularly and keeping your steps up, it'll stick with you. So that's something that's really positive from a health perspective. Now, the one exception to that would be if someone is already using up a lot of their, um, kind of free time in the gym and they don't really have time or the opportunity to increase their steps, whether it be due to work commitments or whatever it happens to be. Um, then for that individual, I would consider just going straight to cardio and kind of skipping increasing steps. Like maybe they're at five, 6,000 and they just, it's just not practical for them to get further than that at the moment. Then maybe adding in, you know, 10, 15 minutes of like, you know, harder cardio at the end of a session might be applicable. But for most people, you should think of it in terms of that kind of pyramid where your base is just being active um, throughout the day. Again, less of a priority if you're someone at the very high threshold of training already. Like, for example, if you're doing four jujitsu sessions per week and you're doing, you know, four resistance training sessions per week, you're already doing eight weight training sessions and you're doing five, six thousand steps like getting higher than that, like there's a lower return on investment than if someone was sedentary, you know? 100%. So again, baseline activity, that's the starting point. Cool. Yeah. We've got that, right? The next thing in my mind, what I generally like people to do is have some sort of baseline level of aerobic conditioning. Like I don't think we should be bringing in this really high intensity conditioning. If your heart rate, you like you struggle to use aerobic uh, the aerobic system effectively right now there's two trains of thought on this especially because the higher intensity stuff is a little bit more time efficient so i'm not like hard and fast with this i'm not going to be like this is the way we have to do it however if we have someone that has the time i'm probably going to start with aerobic conditioning right now the unfortunate thing about aerobic conditioning is it kind of takes a little bit of time it kind of takes a little bit of you know, a longer period of time uh, of actively doing it to actually build the adaptations that we want. You kind of have to be, you know, doing cardiovascular like aerobic conditioning for 30 plus minutes to kind of get the, we'll call it the left ventricle, the heart adaptations that we want, right? Now, obviously, if you're very unconditioned, you've never done any kind of cardiovascular conditioning, you're probably getting those benefits from like five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 
cool, right? But if we have someone that's, you know, they've started to actually really adapt to this stuff, they're in a good position, they're kind of, you know, they, they want to get fitter and they're not, you know, hugely out of shape, we probably want to bring in some actual like direct cardiovascular, longer, low intensity cardiovascular conditioning. And in my mind, what I just do is like, okay, let's say we have three to four resistance training sessions. You can do this two ways. You can add in like 15 minutes of low intensity cardio at the end of those sessions. That's not my preferred way. My preferred way is to just do a longer activity at the weekend, right? Now, this can be formal cardio in terms of we're going to sit on a treadmill or sit on a treadmill, sit on a bike, stand on a treadmill, go on a stepper, whatever. We're going to do that for 30 to 90 minutes, right? And we're going to keep our heart rate somewhere in the range of 120 to 140 beats per minute, right? That's roughly a kind of pace where you could hold a conversation, but not have an in-depth conversation. Like you can just about talk at that level. You're able to hold a conversation, but someone would know you're exercising right? That would be my preferred way. Now, again, that doesn't have to be formal in terms of going to the gym. This could be, I'm actually going to go for a 90 minute walk or maybe a slight jog, or I'm going to go for a hike. Or I'm going to do something that's active. I'm going to go for a swim. I'm going to do something that gets my heart rate up. And it's somewhere around that 120, 140 beats per minute. Now, obviously that's dependent on your environment, whatever. Like I'm not going to go for a 90 minute hike and I'm in London. Like where the fuck am I going to go for a hike? You know? And um, so it has to be obviously put into perspective of your own life, your own situation, et cetera. But, you know, 30 to 90 minutes of getting your heart rate elevated is probably going to be my next intervention there. Now, obviously, we have to factor in time commitments. Like if you're doing four resistance training sessions already, and then I say, oh, yeah, we have to layer on a 19-minute session as well. And you're kind of like, I don't actually have the fucking time for that. It is what it is. So then we have to look at something else. But would that be your next intervention, Gary? Getting someone to do some more aerobic conditioning, would that be where you'd go next? Yeah, I think it's a really easy thing to introduce for people too, because I, I think this is a, a point I find to be very educational for a lot of clients where they've done cardio in the past, but anytime they've done it, they've basically just tried to go as hard as they can for that period of time. And the most common one is you see people on the step or the stair mill, but what's he got Stairmaster, and uh they are doing 30 minutes or 45 minutes and they're just gasping for breath throughout and it's just hell and you don't want to go and do that again because you're talking about trying to maintain 160 170 180 plus beats per minute for 30 to 60 minutes and that's just really uncomfortable not nice and that definitely is going to dig into your weight training recovery like way more than just the aerobic stuff whereas when someone when i tell clients that to slow it down, keep to like 130 to 150, maybe beats per minute, somewhere around there. And they're able to, you know, just breathe comfortably. You know, they can, you know, take, use their phone and change the song they're listening to or whatever without having to just gasp all the time. That's a lot more comfortable. And it's something that's very easy to implement then because you're able to recover from it quickly. There's not the same anxiety going into the session. You don't have to hype yourself up for a session like that. You can very easily do it after a weight training session. And it's also the type of thing that you can comfortably listen to a podcast or audiobook while doing, you know, if you're trying to push yourself um, like that person on the Stairmaster at holding 170 beats per minute, you might need some more motivational music and you're trying to, you know, hype yourself up and everything. Um, and all of that actually contributes to the fatigue that you get from a training session, the anxiety before the fatigue during and the recovery, recovery demands after. So the more casual you can make this, you know, just casually listening to a podcast, sticking with it for 30 to 45 minutes, maybe 60 minutes at 140 beats per minute. That's just, it's quite a positive exercise experience. You generally feel better after it than if you were doing a really hard session because after a really hard session you feel beat up whereas this it's somewhat restorative still challenging but should feel somewhat restorative yeah 100 and that is why i like it yeah <clears throat> now obviously again time constraints the next thing then if i'm like look you've got this you, you've really you've adapted to this you've got aerobic base now we're in a good position, right? The next thing I would bring in is some more higher intensity stuff, right? Because we can get some nice adaptations from that. And especially if you're already doing resistance training, this gives us an opportunity to add on, you know, five to 10 minutes of higher intensity anaerobic stuff at the end of your sessions, right? Now, the thing is, we do have to still be aware of fatigue. We do still have to be aware of the fact that 
this is going to probably impact your recovery, especially initially until you adapt to it. But if we bring in five to 10 minutes of anaerobic conditioning, so some, we'll call them like sprint intervals at the end of your resistance training sessions, you can be in a great position in terms of you've pretty much knocked out all of your cardiovascular conditioning, all the adaptations you can get. Now, are you going to be the best marathon runner? Are you going to be the best sprinter, etc.? No, because we're adding cardio in. It's not the main focal point of the program, right? So the way I usually do it is, you know, there's a few different, we'll call them uh, protocols you can use, but basically we want to do something that has us doing a work period for, you know, depending on what exact adaptations we're trying to get somewhere in the range of 10 to 120 seconds of work. And then we probably want to have, like I personally, if I'm doing anaerobic stuff at the end of a resistance training session, I generally like a kind of, three to six to one ratio of rest to work right so if i'm doing a 10 second interval i'll probably have at least a 50 second rest period and i generally like a little bit of active rest so we're not just like boom static stop if i'm doing something like 30 seconds then i like you know, at least 90 seconds of rest for that and um, now again it depends on the conditioning of the individual and if we're doing something like you know two minutes of you know hard work we're probably looking at at least you know call it three to six minutes of rest so that doesn't really lend itself to doing that at the end of your resistance training sessions because you basically do two minutes of hard work three minutes of recovery you can do that what once twice <laughs> you know and it's not you know a really beneficial strategy right so i generally prefer the kind of shorter intervals somewhere in the range of 10 to 50 seconds for the kind of sprints and um, and generally it's usually below 30 when I'm, I'm trying to get people to beat their record in terms of how hard they are pushing with those intervals especially if you have something that can track it such as like watts or calories per hour or whatever it is right and um, that's generally what I like and I get that you know whatever the intervals are make that add up to about five minutes we're done you know that could be three intervals in total five intervals whatever it is, depending on the exact protocol and kind of call it good then, right? So you've added in some anaerobic conditioning. Now, obviously, if you're only doing 10 seconds, it's a bit more of that kind of alactic system that we talked about. But even still, it's more of that kind of getting the, the, the lacking of oxygen energy system working, right? And that can be fantastic for really improving your conditioning. Now, there is another way that you can do this, which is very fatiguing, but it can be quite effective. And that is to use really, really incomplete rest periods, right? So something like a, a one-to-one or a two-to-one work, or sorry, rest-to-work ratio. So you might do, again, a 30-second interval, and you might only do a 30-second recovery, right? Or a 30-second interval and a 60-second recovery. And you do that knowing that, you know, your performance is going to decrease as the reps go on. And you're doing that so that you can, first of all, burn a little bit more calories, you would hope, but also so that you can kind of really, really push the, the, the strain, that kind of uh, the higher heart rate zone. And the thing about this is it actually becomes more aerobic. The longer you leave that, like you can't just, again, sprint for five minutes. So if you're doing a five minute, quote unquote, anaerobic you know, session where you're doing a one-to-one -one work to rest period, like by about two minutes, that's just becoming more and more aerobic. You know, it's just, it just is what it is, right? Because you're not actually able to get the heart rate back down. You're not able, it's not like, you know, your work period, you're getting up to like 180 beats per minute and then your rest period, you're coming straight back down to 120. Like that's not happening for most people, even the most conditioned of the conditioned uh, people out there. Like you're probably not getting that kind of recovery in a 30 second window, right? So it's going to become more aerobic, even though your heart rate is more elevated. And what will happen then is, you'll kind of just start noticing your performance decrease, that top end performance. Like again, if we're using something like watts for output, and we're like, okay, cool. I want you to get, I don't know, 2000 watts on this machine. And you notice, okay, the first sprint I did 2000, the next one I did 1800. And then the next one I did, you know, 1400. That's probably the way it's going to go because, you know, you basically use up all of the you know, glycogen that's freely accessible at that point and then you're moving more into this kind of aerobic metabolism you know so would that be the way you would go about it gary add in some sort of anaerobic conditioning at the end of your workout 
Yeah, I'm a fan. I'm a big fan. And and like you like you said, like the ideal is to be able to maintain a slightly longer um rest to work ratio than most people do. Like a lot of people when they implement this, they'll do like 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off kind of thing. Or even the other way around, they'll go like 30 sec 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off or whatever. And that's fine in some cases. But I think for the most part, if you're trying to really get the most out of those work intervals, you want to be, you know, at least going with a two or three um, times uh, rest to work ratio. Um, obviously, that varies then depending on the duration of the, the work period and what you're doing, of course. But I think for the most part, it should be easy enough to get a decent stimulus within maybe 15 minutes or so after your workout. Um, if you use that type of work to rest period, for example, you're doing, you know, 30 seconds, let's say, and then you rest for 60 to 90 seconds, and then you repeat that, whatever, uh, five rounds or whatever. That's, you know, a decent amount of, of training to get in after your session. Um, longer sessions, if they're approaching 30 minutes and beyond, and you're really pushing yourself hard, I would do them on their own. Um, generally I, I encourage clients to do that in some cases I'm happy for them to do them after their sessions but generally as well if I'm having someone do really hard intervals that are approaching 30 minutes and beyond there's generally a specific purpose so for example they might be a GA athlete field sports athlete of some sort maybe martial arts like there's generally a purpose. So I would have that as a specific session. Um, or maybe it might be that they have light upper body work to do and then they do that interval type session. But anything less than, you know, 30 minutes, if it's 15 to 20, 10 to 20, I think that should be achievable after a session. Just think about the crossover between the muscles that you're using there too. So it's obviously going to be superior for most types of intervals to do it after a, an upper body session than to do it after a really hard lower body session where you've already emptied the tank. Most people won't have much left in the tank after a really hard leg session. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. And also then just in terms of the modalities that you're using, it's important to, for hard intervals, I generally try to choose low impact options with primarily concentric effort. And what I mean by that is that things like cycling, um, assault bike, etc they're all primarily concentric activities because you're doing the shortening phase, but you don't have a lot of force to absorb on impact or on the lengthening phase. Whereas with running, if you're doing hard sprints, that's super fatiguing. And if you're doing a 20 minute sprint session, especially if you're not an athlete who has trained sprints before, you're going to be so, so sore, probably even sore than you will be after your leg sessions. So choosing those concentric activities where possible would be my advice. Yeah, because you kind of do forget that one of the functions of muscles is to absorb like the yeah. shock or you know whatever you want to call it, the forces that your body is exposed yeah. to. And um, so, like, and you definitely notice this. If you try to run downhill, like your quads are gonna be fucking beat the fuck up the next yeah. day, you know, because they're absorbing all that breaking force, you know. And it, and it actually feels easy at the time. That's the thing with downhill, especially, and then the day after, you just goosed. Yeah, you're just like fuck i didn't realize my quad could feel like this like you're like i thought i trained my legs you know i thought i you know trained hard right and so that is something to be aware of but also like it is one of those things where it's, it's kind of hard to really say because there's actually mixed research on this in terms of what is more fatiguing and it probably comes down to your actual background and you know different things for example a few like research papers have shown that uh cycling is actually more fatiguing than running right and the reason is this is probably because people cycling pushed harder because it's actually way easier to push hard while cycling because for the exact same reason that gary's talking about there is you only kind of have to do half the work you know you're only kind of doing the concentric bit you're not really doing the eccentric now i know like you know actual cyclists will kind of cringe at that because they yeah. actually they don't just push down while they're doing the the work like they're actually pulling up with the opposite leg like if you ever go on one of those like um spin bikes can't remember the name of them but like just kind of spin bikes that have like the the ratio of how to you know oh, yeah. each of those things like it, it'll show you the kind of map like it'll show how much like pushing force you're doing and how much pulling force you're doing and the ratio between the two legs there so that is something to be aware of that like you know it depends on your background what's going to be more fatiguing like if you're a competitive cyclist and you're like okay actually i use the the pull on the the, the the bike as well like i'm actually you know using my hamstring etc that's probably going to be a bit more fatiguing than someone who's just like you know pushing down and letting the you know effectively the momentum carry the leg back up right so that is something to be aware of obviously it depends on what you have been doing what you're adapted to etc 
etc right um but yeah so that's that's kind of how we would integrate it that's kind of it's pretty straightforward now me personally i kind of like just maximize the time interval that we're doing in terms of look if we've got 10 minutes to do cardio at the end of our training like i want to make that as intense as possible mm-hmm. in terms of like the same way you would do with your resistance training like let's say we have three sets to do in that 10 minutes i want to make those three sets you know hard you know for the 30 seconds or whatever we're doing before we start just adding more volume you wouldn't do that with your training volume like we've discussed you wouldn't just go oh yeah i did kind of three sloppy sets and like my performance was definitely decreased by the third set you know what i'm going to do i'm going to add another set you wouldn't do that you'd go okay let's actually maximize the three sets first before we start adding more right so that's the way you should also be thinking about this and not just the case of like more is better right and um, so that's generally how we would put all this stuff together but i suppose this then kind of needs us to answer the question um is concurrent training going to be harmful to your gains then are you going to do this you know what we've just suggested do some background activity do some maybe aerobic conditioning on a separate day and then maybe add in some anaerobic conditioning at the end of your training sessions is that going to kill your gains gary yeah i would say it exists on a spectrum okay so i think if you're a competitive bodybuilder, you need to think about this stuff a lot more because surprisingly, a lot of them, a lot of competitive bodybuilders actually don't like they'll do their cardio um, fasted, you know, deliberately all of the time. And sometimes they're pushing quite hard um, and kind of leaving out some of the key sports nutrition principles that they would apply if it was a weight training session. So I would say that like, if you're doing cardio, you know, as a bodybuilder, you need to be thinking, right, am I, am I really digging into my recovery resources? Am I really pushing into catabolism here at a point where maybe I don't want to do that? Like if you're dieting for fat loss, let's say, um, and you're doing a one and a half hour leg session, and then you do an hour of cardio after that, and you didn't have any intro workout nutrition or anything would actually be wise during that cardio session to, you know, start sipping on some carbohydrates plus or minus some whey protein or um, essentially amino acids or something just to start to, you know, minimize any effects that might kick in because context always matters with the level of interference. And, you know, while 30 minutes or an hour of cardio isn't going to have a significant um, interference and isolation, you know, if performed after a leg session and you're using your legs again, and you're not, you're now delaying the refueling process that might have a bit more of a significant effect for the general population. I, I wouldn't even worry about it. You know, it's just not that big a deal, but for that individual who's trying to maximize every ounce of muscle that might matter a bit more. So for the most part, I think that I see very little interference between or in, in or very little interference between the muscle and cardiorespiratory adaptations um, in individuals who are just adding in a bit of cardio to try to improve their fitness. Like most people are going to be doing something like maybe 30 minutes, three times a week. You know, very few people do more than that. Some people might do up to kind of 150, 180, you know, minutes per week, but it's quite rare to be honest. And most people who do that, they're doing it at a relatively low intensity. So I just wouldn't be worried about it interfering. You know, with that said, the the main place where it is going to start to interfere more is when people are in that deficit, they're dieting and they're trying to burn as many calories as they can rather than reducing their calories through nutrition. And what you end up doing here is that not only are you creating the deficit for your fat loss, but you're also creating an, an additional recovery deficit because you're doing so much activity. And this is especially the case where people start to do, as I said previously, where they go on the Stairmaster and they go on the inclined treadmill or they're cycling, they're hitting 160, 170, 180 beats per minute for 45 to 60 minutes every single day. Like that's almost certainly going to uh, interfere. But again, that's not what we're recommending. So don't do that. And you won't uh, run into these issues, I think. I would consider the issue uh, one of under recovery for the vast majority of the reason people say, yeah. oh, there is a concurrent you know, training like it's harmful for your gains. Now, obviously, this goes up to a point. And that point is probably around, and we've discussed this before, um, and we've gone into figures and stuff, but it's probably around the point where your gastrointestinal system just can't absorb more food. You know, and like there's figures thrown around that's 1.5 times or two times your like basal metabolic rate or whatever. But there's probably a point where, you know, you could eat more food, but it's actually not going to lead to 
better recovery overall. Like you're just at the limit of how much you can actually absorb, right? So it's probably, you can get up to that point. And then after that, you're not going to be able to out eat the recovery demands of this or out sleep it or whatever. So that's not what we're recommending. Like, again, we're not recommending you go out and do, you know, a marathon training and six resistance training sessions. Like that's obviously not going to be effective. Like if you're just doing like minimal effective dose to still get results, again, we're saying like, you know, 15 minutes max at the end of your resistance training session of anaerobic work. Um, and you're saying you're training four days per week. Like what's that? An hour extra of anaerobic work, of cardio work. And then we'll say you do an hour of aerobic work then the, on a Saturday or something. Like realistically, if two hours of cardio across an entire week on top of four hours of resistance training is the thing that completely derails you, like we'll say that's literally six total hours of um you know work like there's probably something else going on right because there's athletes out there college athletes student athletes that have other stuff going on and they're training six hours a day you know so in my mind i'm like you either brought this intervention in too early weren't adapted to it weren't able to adapt to it in terms of the speed at which you brought it in or you're not sleeping you're not recovering, you're not eating well, your stress is too high, you know, all these other things start coming into it. Because again, six hours of work throughout the week, you know, that should be relatively easy to recover from if you're doing the general things we talk about, you know, correctly, right? Now, obviously, there's going to be certain populations that that's going to be way too much work or whatever. But again, that's what all of this programming stuff is supposed to be about it's about finding the effective doses for what you want. If you find yourself constantly not recovered, then we're doing too much. We need to pull it back, right? Um, but that would be my perspective. Do you have anything else to add on to this, Gary, finally? No, I think that covers everything. And, and like, I would just reiterate the point that we covered a lot more detail than this in the full cardio series. So do please refer back to that. If you'd like more information, particularly on some of the more specifics around programming and different goals, etc., because um, I think you, you will get a lot out of it. So that's it for me anyway. 100%. Now, Gary, wrap this up. Where can people find us, etc., etc.? Yeah, so first and foremost, guys, as always, we do have uh, some coaching spaces available. So if you'd like to work with a member of our coaching team, uh, you can do so. Okay, we have the privilege of having a lot of different or multiple different coaches on the team now. So we're pretty much always available or one of us is always available for um, coaching. So if you'd like to work with us, do get in touch. You can find information in the description box below, or you can reach out to us um, on Instagram or any other platform. Okay. So Instagram, as I said, triage method, you can follow along there. We're putting out a lot of content on Instagram, to be honest, seems to be a pretty positive response. Um, lots of different topics. Again, because we have different people producing content now, we can have posts that are on nutrition, then other posts on training, posts on injury, posts on practical coaching stuff, etc. So lots of variation there, something there for everyone. So make sure you're following. Um, and obviously we all put out content ourselves as well on our personal Instagram pages. So if you go on to the triage method, Instagram, click on who we're following, you'll see our respective coaches there and you can see the content that everyone is putting out. So do follow along. We appreciate it. If you like the podcast, share it on your story. We always appreciate that. We'll repost it um, or even just give us feedback personally. If you've got any topics, you can also request those. And if you happen to use a podcast platform that allows, you can leave a rating and review and that is greatly appreciated. If you're a coach yourself, you're trying to support your education, you can subscribe to the Triage Method Coaches Corner and access our lectures on everything from anatomy to physiology to um, nutritional biochemistry and the practicals of nutrition, you know, um, how many carbs should you eat? Why should you eat that? Um, how, well, not you, but for your clients primarily. You know, how do you make these decisions? That's all covered in the Coach's Corner. So do take a look there if you're interested. And other than that, we've got our monthly newsletter, which will be going out in about a week's time again. So do subscribe and make sure you're not missing out on that. And uh, I think that's everything. 100%. And what I would say is for sure, <clears throat> definitely follow the YouTube channel. And if you watch this on YouTube, yes. put, hit that follow button. And, and then also follow the triage method Instagram page, because that's what we're putting a lot of focus into over the next while to really provide a lot of content. And it really does help if you do share that or like it or just save it or do any of the things that lead to better engagement, because then the algorithm picks it up and then we get boosted 
to a wider audience. So if you do like the podcast and you're kind of like, oh, like I don't want to pay for their services or I don't want to do anything like that, literally hit a follow on Instagram, like the posts that you see, and that's that's enough for us. Like that that helps us grow our business overall. So we appreciate that. Anyway, I have nothing else to say, Gary. Do you? No, just das Vidania. Fantastic. Anyway, enjoy the rest of your day, Gary. Enjoy the rest of your guy day, guys who are listening and gals, I suppose. 